Good morning, friends. Uh, this message today is being recorded here in my home office. I was not able to drive out to St. Mark's and Mineral Wells today because of the weather. Uh, lots of sleet and ice, which makes traveling that hour out west a little bit hazardous. But today's message I'm going to share is called Celebrating Failure, Surviving Success. The text I'm using for today <clears throat> is 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27. You know, each year in the NFL, the top 12 teams, slightly more than the top third of all of them, make it to the playoffs. Some teams get there by dominating everyone they play. Others just barely squeak by. Of course, only one team can win the Super Bowl. I think we all know that. And for all of the other teams, that means their season ends up the same with a loss. That's part of the price you pay for being among the best. You end your season in defeat, and then you have the next six months or so to stew about it, to review what went wrong, and to think about what you'll do differently next time. <clears throat> the team that wins the Super Bowl soon discovers, however, that they now have a new challenge to face, proving that they have what it takes to get back to the big game. After a team wins the Super Bowl, every assistant coach is suddenly in demand. Every free agent is worth a little bit more. It just seems to be harder than ever for a championship team to stay together after winning. Now, this isn't exclusively a football problem. In uh, his book, The Winner Within, former L.A. Lakers coach Pat Riley talks about how the Lakers fell apart one year after winning the championship in 1980. They had been called one of the best teams ever, loaded with a lot of talent like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Jamal Wilkes and Magic Johnson. But for some reason, they couldn't handle success. It wasn't long before they were fighting over who was getting more credit than they deserved and more attention from the media than they deserved. And they began bickering among themselves. And as Riley says, they went from winning to whining. They didn't even make the playoffs the following year. No, not, no doubt you've seen this happen to someone in your circle of friends. Just as we all know people whose lives were destroyed by failure, we know people whose lives were destroyed by success. Now in this series, The Drive to Thrive, um, we have come to understand that in this life that God has given us, we need to learn how to deal with both in a way that ensures we get tripped up by neither. The perfect biblical example of this quality certainly is the Apostle Paul. If anyone is qualified to talk about dealing with victory and defeat, he is. I mean, I marvel at some of the things he accomplished. I mean, he wrote about half the New Testament, much of it in jail. He was instrumental in spreading Christianity beyond the boundaries of Jerusalem into the four corners of the known world. He started churches, he trained leaders, he raised money for the poor. He preached the gospel to thousands of people from all walks of life and won many, many people to Christ. Paul accomplished some great things in the course of his ministry, but he also registered some pretty big losses. He was beaten and flogged and arrested and imprisoned. He was shipwrecked and spent a day and a night at sea. He went hungry. He went without sleep. He went without enough to keep himself warm. He struggled with his own imperfections, with physical ailments, and toward the end of his life, Many of those whom he had served turned their backs on him. Yes, Paul knew victory, he knew defeat, but he also knew how to deal with both. 
At the end of his life, he was able to write these words. They're recorded in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Friends, it is my hope that each of you is able to say these words as you approach the home stretch. But how do you get there? Well, in our text for today, uh, Paul provides three character checks by which you can evaluate your performance, win or lose. These character checkpoints help you learn to deal with the disappointment of defeat, and they also help you keep from losing sight of the target whenever success comes your way. Here's the very first character check. Win or lose, you want to be able to say, I gave my all. Now, as a former coach, I know that like many coaches, I have often challenged my teams to leave everything on the floor, everything on the field. That means that when the game is over, you know that you've played as hard as you can. You're out there the full 60 minutes, or basketball the first 32, or the full 40, full speed, full intensity, so that when the buzzer sounds, you've got nothing left to give. I can't imagine any better way to play or to do my job or to live my life than to be able to say, I left it all on the field. I gave my all. And that's exactly what Paul is challenging us to do when he says, run in such a way to win the prize. Now, of course, our prize is not some earthly prize like a medal or a trophy or a medallion, but our prize ultimately is heaven through Jesus Christ. Now, the fact is, sometimes you leave it all on the field of play and you still lose. Sometimes you give your all and nobody shows up. Sometimes you work and work and work and you don't get the results you're after. You don't become the star of the team. You don't even get to start on the team. Now, how do you respond when that happens? Well, if you want to thrive, you have to learn to measure success differently. It's not determined by what the scoreboard says or what the crowd thinks. It's determined by what you know deep within. I gave my all for the sake of Jesus Christ. I left it all on the field for his sake. Several years ago on a visit to Angola prison, I was leaving the main prison one evening when I heard a guy preaching uh, with what I would call great enthusiasm. He wasn't just telling it like it is. He was yelling it like it is. So I thought, I'm going to just stop in and listen to him preach a while. <clears throat> and I walked in, and there were five people inside that classroom. The pastor was preaching like he was in a packed stadium, and there were five people in a bunch of empty chairs. Now, I don't know if that little church, that little fellowship will ever be full, but I do know this. That little church has a pastor who leaves it all on the field. I mean, take a moment to ask yourself, do I do that? Do I leave everything on the field? When I'm on the job, am I giving 100% to my work? Am I working like I'm working for the Lord? Speaking of this, I once heard a guy say that he gives 100% at his job every week. Then he explained how he does it. He says, I give 20% on Monday, 20% on Tuesday, 20% on Wednesday, and, you know, by Friday it all adds up to 100%. Well, how's your spiritual life or your relationships with your family, your friends, your commitment to a church? Are you living full on for Jesus or are you just phoning it in? If you want to get to the point where you can celebrate failure and survive success, give it your all every time, regardless of the score, regardless of the outcome, regardless of the circumstances. Here's my second character check. Win or lose, you've got to be able to say, 
I got myself ready. Verse 26 of our text says, All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. See, preparation is everything. One of my all-time favorite people is John Wooden, uh, the legendary coach of UCLA. He said, what you do in practice is going to determine your level of success. You have to give 100% every day. See, preparation often makes the difference between winning and losing, between success and failure. None of us, however, get the results we want every time. Even when you're fully prepared in every way imaginable, there will always be days when you lose the battle, miss the sale, or fall short of expectations. Now, how do you deal with that? Well, with a character check. I got myself ready. I did my homework. Maybe I lost the day, not because I'm lazy. I I prepared to the best of my ability. Now, I'm challenging you to get into the habit of preparing for everything that's important in your life. I mean, is your marriage important? Then ask yourself, how can I better prepare each week to be a better husband or better wife? Some of you might say, well, uh, what do you mean, prepare? I mean, I'm already married. What's to prepare? Well, maybe you can read more about what's involved in strong relationships. Pray more for God's favor in your marriage. Take the time to notice what your spouse likes or wants or needs and make it a point to make time to do it. Those of you who serve at the church, I'm challenging you to show up each week. Show up prepared, having done your homework, having studied, and having practiced. The truth is that there will be times when the results you get aren't the results you want. You deal with that disappointment by saying, I did all that I could. I did my homework. I got myself ready. Maybe the next time the results will be better. And by the same token, when you succeed as a result of preparation rather than the result of dumb luck, you're less likely to let it go to your head. You're less likely to say, I can do this without trying. I can coast from here on out. See, preparation is everything. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later in terms of spiritual practices. But if something, uh, if something is important enough to make it to your do list, the important enough to prepare for, get yourself ready. Well, there's a third character check that Paul talks about. It's this. I took the road less traveled. Again, from our text, he says, Therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or fox like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control, so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You know, for many years, I said that Paul is speaking somewhat metaphorically about disciplining his body, just as he is speaking metaphorically about running and boxing and training. But today, I'm I'm sure that there's more to it than that. I'm sure that Paul is speaking, in part at least, about physical discipline. Specifically, he's talking about the discipline to do things you don't want to do, or even things you don't have to do. He's talking about the discipline to do without, even when you don't have to do without. That's because there is a connection between physical discipline and spiritual obedience. In his book, Your Own Worst Enemy, social psychologist Roy Baumeister told about an experiment done with college students who practiced walking with a book on their head in order to improve posture. These students ended up eating better, studying harder, and sleeping more without specifically focusing on making these improvements. Baumeister says that small improvements pave the way for big improvements. So when you set the structure of getting up a little earlier each day or working out each day or skipping a meal every now and then, it helps you develop spiritual momentum. 
Paul is also talking about the other types of discipline, the spiritual disciplines of daily prayer and Bible study, the discipline of church attendance, the discipline of serving others. He's talking even about emotional discipline, keeping your thoughts and attitudes and emotions under your control. Now, many of us who live in the first world have the option of creating a soft life for ourselves. We generally can find a job that allows us to coast on less than total commitment. We can generally buy a really comfortable chair and spend each evening with our feet propped up watching TV or surfing the internet or eating potato chips or popcorn, doing only that which contributes to our comfort. And I know a lot of people who take this approach, and I do too from time to time. They want to make their life as easy and trouble-free as possible. It's not about doing great things or serving others or making a difference. It's all about being comfortable. This is one of the biggest temptations of a success the temptation to coast, the temptation to say I've worked hard so now I will allow myself a few indulgences. Now, I'm not talking about buying a comfortable chair. I'm talking about indulgences much more destructive. Success sometimes tempts us to say reward yourself. You're not in boot camp anymore. Take a break, a long break, live a little. And defeat sometimes tempts us to say why do you keep working so hard for so little? Isn't it time for you to reward yourself, to take a break, a long break. Both success and defeat tempt you to stop paying the price. And when an athlete stops paying the price, he not only stops winning, he stops competing. He ends up on the bench. It's the same for a believer. That's why Paul said that even he didn't want to be disqualified from his ultimate goal, which was heaven. I think we've all known many believers who disqualified themselves. Some of them do it by headline making sinful behavior. But most people disqualify themselves by way of apathy, by way of laziness, or by way of selfishness. If you want to thrive, put this character check in place. Decide today that you will continue to take the road less traveled, the road of self-discipline, and you will continue to pay the price as long as there is a race to be run. That's part of your spiritual life. Well, as I bring these three messages to a close, it's my prayer that we all develop that drive to thrive. I mean, that's what Jesus said. I came to give you life and to give you life abundantly. It's my prayer that you will approach life with a new resolve to live as an obedient child of God. That you will expect more from yourself. That you will expect more from God in response to your faith. That you will give more of yourself to the service of others until your race is finally run. And you stand before the throne and hear him say, Well done, a good and faithful servant. Well, until next time, when we start a brand new Christmas series, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion. God bless, my friends.